sport administrators, sport fans and participants themselves. Sarah and Ash sit down with a bunch of inspiring female leaders from within the sports industry who share their journey of achieving their aspirations. Welcome back to the next episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. I am very excited to welcome our next guest today, Liz Mills, who has an amazing resume as a basketball coach. Liz has spent the last 10 years in Africa, holding a number of high-performance coaching positions at both club and national level. Currently, Liz is the coach of the Kenyans men national team, where she has led them to qualify for the African Championships for the first time in 28 years that will take place in August this year. Liz is currently spending some time at home in Sydney before she heads back to Africa, and we are very excited to chat to her today about her journey. So welcome to the podcast, Liz. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, Thank thanks you. a lot, Liz. Um, it's really great for you to spend some time with us before you head back um, over to Africa. One thing um, we like to kick off with um, is the same question we have for everyone, which is kind of why we're all on this um, chat today, is what is your first memory of sport? Wow, this is taking me back. I would say my first memory would be with my twin sister um, playing sport in primary school. We always had sports day on Friday. And so I remember running around on our oval at our primary school, you know, trying different types of sports. But um, my next big memory would be uh, starting to play netball because our older sister played netball. And um, so we, we thought we'd follow in her footsteps and we played that until we saw the light and moved across to basketball when we were 15. But uh, from an early age, we were playing multiple sports, uh, swimming, athletics, hockey, you name it, we tried it. Yeah, it sounds like um, I think nearly every guest we've had on, they've had the typical Aussie childhood of just playing a heap of sport as a kid or following older siblings into something and ending up through it that way. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about your journey so far and some of the coaching roles that you've had and how you've ended up with them? Well, I would say first and foremost, the reason why I became a coach was watching the WNBL, so the Women's National Basketball League. My twin sister and I, we started watching it when we were about 10 and didn't really start playing until we were 15. Um, But seeing the strong and powerful, successful female head coaches of the WNBL um, inspired me to actually consider coaching as a career. 
I cannot stress enough that if I didn't have those visible role models, I probably would never have considered being becoming a coach. Um, and so from there, I ended up um, studying sports science and sports management at university, trying to, you know, uh, broaden my skill set as a coach, understanding, you know, the sports science side and also understanding sports management. And then um, from there, um, I was coaching and working in gyms in Australia. And then in 2008, after um, I finished my undergraduate degree, my twin sister and I did an around the world trip and we ended up volunteering in Zambia in Africa in 2008. So it was that's when we kind of fell in love with Africa and um, we eventually moved to South Africa in 2011 and working in that same volunteer program as volunteer coordinators. And on a trip back to Zambia, a friend of mine invited me to come and watch a basketball game in their preseason tournament. Um, only the men were playing and he was like, come and watch. And I had no intention of a, of coaching in Zambia or anything like that, but I instantly fell in love with the game there and approached a team and I eventually went on to head coach them. And so I've, since 2011, I've been a head coach and an assistant coach for men's club teams and national teams in Zambia, Kenya, Rwanda, and Cameroon. Um, also had the pleasure of guest coaching in Namibia, South Africa, and Uganda. I've also worked while I was in Zambia as the high performance manager for the Olympic sports at the Olympic Youth Development Center. And I worked as the regional manager for the Zuku University National Basketball League in Kenya. So I'm not always coaching. Um, I do try to also work in other administration roles in sport and develop not just basketball, but sport in Africa as a whole. Wow, that's um, a pretty impressive journey that you've had there. Um, some amazing experiences. And I think what's um, what stood out most to me there was you sort of just took it upon yourself and you know asked, can I can I do this? And the response was yes, which is um, a really good lesson for a lot of people to learn. But I just want to go back to the WNBL experience mm-hmm. that you spoke of there. And it's a pretty strong leap. Like if you go watch the WNBL, like the girls are amazing, the coaches are amazing, and you spoke there about the visibility of, of having female role models. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that and, you know, how has it actually played out and how do you want to be able to, I guess, continue some of that legacy on that other people have set? Well, I remember seeing uh, Coach Carrie Graff, um, Jan Sterling, um, and these women were winning WNBL championships. There wasn't a male coach in sight. Um, we had, we're now in the 42nd year of the WNBL and there are only two female head coaches this year. We're actually going backwards. I just think if I didn't have those female role models and if I'm a young girl in Australia watching the WNBL, the Premier League Women's League for basketball, and I don't see any female head coaches, what makes me think that I can do that? And so that is detrimental for our young girls, even having not even having female assistant coaches is another issue as well. Um, we, we, I'm not saying that men can't coach women, don't get me wrong. Um, I just think that we're not providing opportunities for young girls and women to succeed in coaching. And for me, I take, you know, I'm the only female head coach of a men's national team in the world. It's not just Africa, 168 men's national teams, and Kenya is the only one with a female head coach. So 
I'm, I want to, as I continue my coaching journey, to hold the door open to promote other women and inspire them to do the same thing that I'm doing. And like you briefly just mentioned, Ash, it's about creating your own opportunities as a female coach because I can guarantee you no one's going to hand us an opportunity. Yeah, I find that really interesting because it's not just a basketball thing either. There's, you know, women in coaching is a huge problem within sport. Mm -hmm. Definitely in Australia, I can't really speak globally, but um, it seems, especially in basketball, that it is globally. I mean, I have a background in, I used to be a swimmer, so I watched the swimming. We just picked the um, swimming team and all of the coaches are men. Now that's done on how they're athletes perform but the point is so it's not um I guess to your point earlier it's nothing against the men that have earned their way there through Mm -hmm. their athletes performance it's just that clearly the the pathway isn't there for females to even get there for their athletes um, or to be head coaches of local clubs taking athletes to national trials um what do you think of the I guess things that we need to start to look at to encourage women across the board in sport to be look into coaching as a career? Well, I read this fabulous article the other week. Um, Sydney Morning Herald, I think, um, had it. And it was actually about Swimming Australia and the the toxic culture within uh, Swimming Australia. There's no female head uh, coaches in the swim team going to the Olympics. In Rio in 2016, out of I think it was 160 coaches, we had 15 female head coaches within that team, which is outrageous. Um, so don't in Australia, don't talk to me about gender equality when it comes to sport. Um, people are always like, oh, Africa is so backwards. Oh, yeah, when do you think there's going to be a female head coach of the Boomers? Yeah, just, just wrap your head around that. They're in training camp right now. I didn't see a single female anywhere near that team. So... I think we need to get off our high horse and, like you said, address the issue. And it starts with having development programs specifically for female coaches. So federations need to actively engage and encourage young girls, young women to take up coaching. Identify leaders because I was identified as as a leader and someone who could coach within my club in Sydney by a male coach. I've only had male mentors. It's about, it's allyship. Men are not the enemy, but they are part of the solution as well. And so identifying these young girls and women who can coach and encouraging them and actually providing them with opportunities. So don't just talk the talk, give them teams. And don't just think, okay, women have to coach juniors and boys to a certain level, and then it's women. It's no, they can coach whoever they want. Um, if you're going to take, like, let's say NBL1, you're going to mentor a young male coach. Okay, well, mentor a young female coach. You don't know that she can't coach men. So opening those opportunities to include everyone, not just a certain type of individual. Um, I also think that it's selection policy. How um, we select coaches, is it based on qualification, skill set and experience? Or does it matter who the name is? Does it matter who the gender is? Does it matter who their network is? So having a more objective selection process would also help and assist um, female coaches, I think. Um, but I could go on for hours about this. Yeah. In general, that's what my thoughts are around no, I think it's- a, 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 even playing field. Yeah, I think it's really um, my experience is that, and I don't want to generalise, 
but I will, um, is that females are usually, okay, you'll be good at the entry level kind of development. You're really good because you can wrap your arms around the kids when they need it, mm-hmm. help them develop the skills. But then when it gets to the performance, you'll hand them over and nine times out of 10, that performance level is where there's the lack of females. There's some really amazing females that kind of get that ceiling put on their careers because it's like this is what you're good at so you must stay within working with this level of children in the in this sport can i tell you a little secret men need to wrap their arms around you know you need to wrap your arms around these big big men and tell them everything's going to be okay when they yeah they play badly the little secret is they're just as emotional as women but don't tell anybody okay we see a coach so I'm a Collingwood fan and I look at the skills that Nathan Buckley brought in in 2018 and it was a lot about empathy connection emotion being out there emotionally they're um lauded for it because they're like oh amazing and I'm like like you yeah it's just like well actually that's a 101 to a lot of female leaders is being emotionally connected to your team whether it's in administration or Mm -hmm. an actual sporting team to be honest that's the number one thing a lot of the players I worked with say about having a female coach because I'm the first female coach they've ever worked with so they're always a bit nervous um they're not necessarily resistant they're just like oh what's this going to be like and when I walk on the court and we run practice they're like oh it's just the same. But then they see that like because I value relationships more than X's and O's and what you can do for me on the court. And so when they understand that you care for them, not just as a player, which more female coaches will do better than male coaches, generally speaking, though, they feel valued. And so you're going to get so much more out of that person than you would if you just treated them like they were, okay, you're my power forward. That's all you can do for me. And I think female coaches are in a unique position to be better skilled at working on that side of a player. Um, So uh, to be honest, it's crazy to think that, um, like you said, these male coaches are lauded for having all these amazing emotional ideas, like having EQ, when really that's 101 for women. Yeah, it is. Um, it's interesting. I think there's some. There's been a lot of articles and things like that, or you know, your athletes have posted, and they all talk about the level of care you give and the great relationship you have. So there's obviously a testament to the way you're approaching that, and doesn't feel like any of them are missing out on anything. It sounds like they're all having an amazing experience. You mentioned a little bit earlier around, you know, people often mention to you the cultural differences between Africa and Australia. Has that caused any challenges, or on the flip side, any? Um, rewards for you I guess what are the key differences you've found I've learned so many valuable lessons in Africa more life skills than anything else Um, you know I I will be forever grateful for all everything I've learned there and I think it's not necessarily about um, the differences but it's also appreciating the similarities that we have um, even though there's this uh, misconception about the continent Um, it's backwards it's they live in mud huts, everybody's dying of some disease, and that's just really not the case at all. Um, and I think for me in terms of culture, it's I'm always very well prepared for whatever country I'm going into. So if, if we talk about Rwanda, for example, um, they had a genocide in 1994 and they've been recovering since then. 
Um, so I, I know about their history. Uh, I respect their history and I know what to say, what not to say, how to approach these topics. Um, and then I, I would also say being educated in the history and traditions of those countries is crucial. Um, you've got to be respectful of that uh, first and foremost. And when Africans realize that you're coming in and you have that philosophy um, and you want to learn and be open to their way of life, they embrace you. Um, and so I've been really lucky in the countries that I've worked in and that's been the case. Um, but the lessons I've learned, like we live by the clock, you know, and African time, when I get there, I'll get there, you know. It used to drive me mental. Um, but we're, we're not solving world peace and, you know, we're not doing brain surgery. And I think as, as Australians, we just live and die by the clock and that impacts our stress level and we really lose perspective a lot of the time. And um, so living and working in Africa has really um, allowed me to have a more balanced approach to what's important and what's not. What was the, like, how was adapting to that? Because, you know, as a coach, every single coach I have known and my, myself as when I, you know, coached like under 12s basketball, I used to hate it when kids were late to training. What was the approach there? Like, how, talk me through that because that's fascinating oh, as a coach to see to... you relax on some of your time frames. It used to drive me mental. I can't tell you how much. Uh, I'd be like, do you know how disrespectful this is? And they'd be like, we had other things to do. And I was like, you know what? I, that's true. It's, it is only basketball. Um, and so for me, I came up with the strategy of if I wanted practice to start at 5.30, I would tell them it starts at 5. So, yep. you know, because then I really know I only have to be there at 5.30. Instead of being there at 5 and, like, pulling my hair out, um, I was like, okay, 5 o'clock for 5.30. But, and or... I would say five o'clock and I wouldn't arrive till 5.30. So it's just adapting to it, um, let, just relaxing. It's, it's, these things aren't life or death or that important. Um, and uh, appreciating that players, especially the players I work with, they, they're coming from school, they're coming from work, they've come, they're coming from family situations. Um, and so who am I to say? be here at five or we're doing a thousand suicides you know it's yeah I, I was gonna ask that or or raise it that your athletes I assume are also you know working studying providing for their families so when they say you know we had other things it wasn't that they were sitting around playing their playstation or something they were you know they've just got different priorities yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've worked with teams that have uh, professional players and I do have some professional players in my Kenyan team, but they're the ones who, if I said five, they'd be there at five. Um, so you've got to adapt to who, who you're working with. Um, but yeah, it's all a matter of priorities and making sure that you understand every everybody's individual situation and um that you know your players well enough to know that they're not they're not taking the mickey or they're not um, they're not just being lazy. There are and don't get me wrong. There are guys that I know are doing nothing. So when they are late, they know about it. <laughs> um, so um, I think it's just having that uh, building a, a positive relationship with every one of your players so that you understand their situation. Absolutely. And the team obviously has had a pretty exciting year already so far. I think there was a, well, there's been a photo 
Nice. Uh, they got a little bit of coverage in Australia, um, which is after you guys just beat Angola, was it, in the qualifying and a team, by the sounds of things, um, are pretty much dominated in African basketball for quite a while. But the photo of you and your players running onto the court just looks like one of the all-time sports moments. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Whoever took that photo did an amazing job. I mean, I, I don't even to this day know who took it. Um, and I'm so glad he captured that moment, especially for the Kenyans. Um, they've been working towards this for, you know, two or three years. Um, they've had to sacrifice a lot, a lot of challenges to overcome. Um, and so I couldn't be more proud to work with a group of players like this and, you know, seeing their reactions as they rush onto the court, especially because it was Angola as well. They've won Afrobasket 13 times. Um, so they, they were the dominant force in Africa for almost three decades. Um, and so being able to beat them to qualify was like a cherry on top. And then on a personal level, um, it was back in 2012 um, when I went to my first FIBA Africa um, club championships and it was uh, what we call Zone 6, which is Southern Africa. There's 54 countries in Africa, so we can't all come to one tournament. Uh, we have to do regional um, qualifiers. And um, it was my first tournament where I saw Angolan club teams, Mozambican club teams, etc. And I said then I was like, I'm going to stay in Africa, I'm going to coach in Africa, and I'm going to be the first woman to lead an African team to Afrobasket. So nine years later, and that photo shows all the passion, um, all the determination. It just sums up everything I put into getting myself to that point and achieving that dream. So whenever I see that, um, it reminds me that all that hard work was worth it and um, also embrace the fact that, you know, like anybody, we can get emotional, we can be proud of ourselves and our teams and um, it's not a weakness to show how excited you are to, to qualify. Yeah, I think it's something really special and something obviously nine years worth of work. How important was it to set that really clear vision and goal for you, you know, and then how did you not, I guess, give up after a few years or um, think five years in, you know, it's, an, it's a long way to keep going. Um, what kept you motivated during that time? I think for me, um, I'm very goal orientated. I, I need to be working towards something um, and I kind of took it on my shoulders to prove that, you know what, women can coach and women can coach men successfully. I kind of had a chip on my shoulder having, um, especially when I came back to Australia and I think it was about 2014, um, to do my master's in coaching. And I have been co had coached men for a couple of years at that stage. And when I went back to my old club, they were like, no, you can have under 14 boys. And I was like, mm, I don't coach juniors because that's too hard. Uh, Shout out to all the junior coaches, mad respect. Um, and so um, chip on my shoulder, but I have, there's been so many times when I failed and I thought about giving up. My first shot at going to Afrobasket was back in 2017 with, Z with Zambian men's national team. Um, and we failed to qualify and I came back to Australia devastated because I literally had put everything into that, um, that uh, training camp and um, that tournament. And actually, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because that failure inspired me to really look at myself as a coach and think, where can I develop? What other skills can I add to myself so I can be more valuable to my team? So I undertook, you know, I taught myself how to do basketball analytics and film analysis. 
Um, and I went out and I was like, I'm going to be an expert in African men's basketball. People are going to come and talk to me about it. So I always think failure is so crucial because if that hadn't have happened, if I had succeeded then in 2017, I probably would never have moved outside of Zambia and Southern Africa. I would have been comfortable in my little pond. Um, but that failure forced me to really recognize where my weaknesses were and the opportunities I had to develop and then forced me to go and approach top African teams and really create my own opportunities from, from there. Um, so I would say being incredibly stubborn, <laughs> highly resilient, um, appreciate all the failures and never get too high with all the successes um, and being very much goal-orientated and focused has allowed me to get to where I am today. I think that's um, awesome. You touched on a few things there um, around, you know, continuing to learn and develop. You know, you've obviously kept going with some of your studies, but some people learn just by experiences, which obviously you did um, with not making it to the champs in that year. How is it that you continue to learn, um, you know, through, through your career? So for me, it's been at the university level, um, like I mentioned, sports science and sports management, undergraduate, undergraduate degree, and then I have a master's in coaching more recently. Even though I'm self-taught, I, under, uh, I did a basketball analytics course, you know, just to make sure I was up to date with the current trends and analysis. Um, I've recently um, signed on to be in a uh, part of the Huddle family, which is a uh, film breakdown analysis tool. So where I used to do it manually, now I've got a tool to play around with and teaching myself how to use that. Um, I'm always saying that always comes to mind, you know, is the best coaches are always looking for ways to get better. Um, and we in sport, everything is so innovative at the moment and tr there's so many different and new ways to play or, uh, you know, aspects of the game, be it recovery or psychology. So if you're not staying up to date, you're falling behind and then you're not giving the best that you can to your teams. Um, so having that growth mindset is critical or you're going to be left behind. You've obviously spent a lot of time in Africa. Do you think, do you have ambitions to come home and potentially coach? I know you mentioned there that, you know, you you want to be the expert in African basketball and, and that's sort of the path that you're taking. But what about what's next and what the future might hold? I get asked this a lot, um, but to be honest, I really have no desire to coach in Australia anymore. Um, once you're out of a sports circle, be that basketball, netball, whatever, it's you're really kicked out of the fraternity. Um, and at the moment, they are Basketball Australia has reached out and are trying to include me in coaching development programs, which is great. But I really feel like I wouldn't have the same opportunities in Australia like I would in Africa. Um, I think I'm able to coach senior men's club teams. I'm able to coach senior men's national teams. I can go to World Cups. I can go to Olympics. Um, whereas there can only be one coach of the Boomers. There can only be one coach of the Opals. So for me, I, I want to grow and continue to, to develop in Africa. And the game is so exciting there. Uh, the NBA has just launched a basketball league in Africa. Um, uh, I was supposed to coach in that earlier this year, but without COVID restrictions, et cetera, it just made it a bit too difficult. Um, but I have every intention of coaching in that league. I want to be the first woman to lead a men's African team to the World Cup or the Olympics. I want to smash the glass ceiling 
on a very global stage so that women know that they can do anything. But also it's not even just women. It's about young boys seeing men coached by a woman and understanding that this is acceptable and they are expected to be to be coached by women any time in their career because we have to change the narrative from boys all the way through to men. Um, so I'm very passionate about staying in Africa, developing the game there and also developing coaches there. Um, there it was only in 2017 for the, no, 2018 for the women's Afro basket, um, so the equivalent of the men's, um, that they had a female head coach of a African women's team in 2018. And she was an African-American. So how are we developing African women to become coaches? That's something I'm also really passionate about. How is the game of um, basketball developing over in Africa? Um, is it exponentially? Is it a slow burn? Or it's, You sound pretty passionate, so I feel like it's going to be really good. Well, so. it's, it's booming, to be honest. I actually, you're going to see a lot of foreign coaches descend on Africa in the next year, two, two, three years, especially with the NBA now throwing a lot more money in there, um, infrastructures being developed, which wasn't really happening over the last 10 years. Um, beautiful stadiums, beautiful facilities, great academies. Um, and not just for men, uh, it's going to be boys, girls. Um, you're going to see, I would say in the next 15 to 20 years, the NBA is going to be dominated by African players. I'm excited. I yeah, that's like I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. I think you're clearly very passionate about um, delivering over there, and it's you know it's amazing for them as well to have someone who's so passionate about doing that in their country. You know, you've set that as your goal, and it's not about you know coming home and, and furthering yourself here or in another continent. You're saying you know there's a there's a job to be done here, and, and you believe you can really help. So it's it's really wholesome to hear that sort of take on it, and I'm sure. They'll um, have a lot of success over the years, and we look forward to hopefully, hopefully seeing you take that team to a World Cup or Olympics in the future. But Thank you. <laughs> before we wrap up, one question we always like to ask is: What are the three tips you give to you know a budding female sports coach or sports administrator? I know you said you, you do some work in sports as well um, to help them on their sporting journey. Well, I think first and foremost, it's really about deciding what you want to do, and then plan and prepare for that. Everyone wants to win, but not everyone has the will to prepare to win. So let preparation be your separation. Um, number two, um, like I've said throughout this uh, podcast, create your own opportunities because no one's going to hand them to you. Um, and then three, I would say being resilient, especially for the women. It's going to be difficult and you're going to face challenges just because of your gender. You will also have to deal with failure and have to overcome these in order to be successful. Um, be brave enough to fail because, remember, it's never a failure. It's always a lesson and an opportunity to learn and develop. Thanks, Liz. We look forward to seeing how you go in the championships in August. Thank you, Ash. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to tell my story. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.